I'm Amy Pruitt. I'm Lisa Dumas. I teach Ayurveda and yoga. I teach yoga. I'm a yoga therapist in training, and I offer transformational coaching. But that's just part of the story. We're moms, daughters, wives, and friends. We're always learning, and we've both experienced healing by what we teach. And the intention of this podcast is to offer you our favorite tools from the traditions and sciences that support us as we navigate the realities and stressors of modern life. Each week, we'll share stories, answer your questions, and talk to others who inspire us. Welcome to the Radiant Warrior Podcast. Yoga and Ayurveda to reclaim a courageous heart. Hi, Amy. Hi, Lisa. Once again, I could not be more excited to have our listeners hear this episode. I know. We say that every week, but every week it's true. We're just so honored that we have wonderful authors and healers and teachers reaching out to us um, in order to share with our listeners their incredible work. And the latest expert that we are welcoming today, her name is Karen Shanks, and she's a doctor that has written this beautiful book called Heal, which is a nine-stage roadmap to recover energy, reverse chronic illness, and claim the potential of a vibrant new you. And we just want to share off the bat is that This is not one of those episodes that is going to create all these different rules for you and a lot of different shoulds and shouldn'ts. It's such a revolutionary book because she is giving us practical, wonderful advice that we can follow and it's more simple than we think. But she's also teaching such beautiful self-compassion and to let go of our shoulds and our shouldn'ts and to learn how to be kinder to ourselves. So it's it's such a vast work of art, I think. I just had these moments where I wanted to say, amen, amen, because she speaks about the wisdom of the body and how tapping into our own healing potential is so powerful and really honoring us as unique individuals and with such love and compassion. I just felt that throughout the whole book as well, just this how to send ourselves such love and permission and compassion and forgiveness. So I really thought it was a beautiful book. And before we get to that interview, Amy and I want to share that coming up this Tuesday, there's something happening online that we think a lot of you might be interested in. Last week, we shared how Katie Brower, our past guest, a yoga professional herself, invited Amy and I separately to be on her annual online program, the Yoga Professional Summit. And if you haven't listened to last week's episode, that (laughs) spiraled Amy and I into some old stories of self-worth, and we were counseled through it by our resident psychotherapist. So that- We'll listen to that. That was a rough one. But (laughs) yes. Oh, we needed some recovery after that. We we did. And such an important episode because what incredible teachings our psychotherapist Jodi Cron shared with us about coming back to ourselves as women and healing these wounded, broken places that show up in our present lives, limiting us like it was so useful. It was it was our own therapy session. (laughs) Completely, completely. I think I need to write Jody a check. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but we just really want to let you know about this summit, though, because we did get over our our stories and Amy and I did show up 
and Katie interviewed us. And we are part of a host of thought leaders and experts and teachers that are going to be highlighted with the intention to support yoga teachers and really stepping into who they want to be as teachers. Mm, yeah, I invite everyone to check out the summit. It's free. You can access it from home. It's four days. There's 14 speakers, two of which are Lisa and I, and you can find it at www.yogaprofessional.com slash summit, or you can check out Katie Brower. I invite you to do that anyway. And in, I know in my interview, um, I talked about meeting anxiety in others, um, specifically as a yoga teacher, meeting anxiety in the yoga room, but it would be helpful to listen to as really anybody who's around other humans, because we can, you know, we, we feel that we feel when other people around us are feeling anxious or nervous, and it can be catching and meeting anxiety, most importantly, in ourselves. And I talk a lot about the difference between resisting it and making it be something bad about us that we're ashamed of and embracing it and looking at this term we call that anxiety as a messenger that maybe we have a story that's holding us back or maybe we're carrying around a a lens that we're seeing our lives through that is based in fear and maybe this is an opportunity to switch into a more loving lens so that's that's just a little bit of of what I'm sharing in that summit. What about you? Yeah, I think it's I think you don't have to be a yoga professional to get so much out of this summit. Like you just talked about could apply to anybody, not just yoga teachers. Mm-hmm. And you know, what I talk about interesting enough, even though I had the self-worthy breakdown before <laughs> and after, I do talk <laughs> I do talk about owning your worth and easier for me to talk about sometimes than to own, but I do talk about owning your work. No, it's authentic a- for you because that is a major, major wound. And mm-hmm. now you've stepped into it and you are in the midst of all of that work and you own a yoga studio now and you are very solid in your worth. So I think you're we're highlighting here that it's so easy for us to drop into our old stories. And, and I think it's helpful to share that, that that happens for all of us. But because that's been your own struggle, you can speak to that, you know, better than a lot of people. So it's wonderful that you do. Yeah, and I do. And I do feel that aspect as well. I do feel very strong in certain areas of my life. And this is my work, right? Mm -hmm. My work is owning my worth. And so I do feel like I can speak of experience. And, And then I talked to Katie about, you know, when you are, when you have to stand in your convictions, you know, I talk about the fact that, I absolutely refuse to have alcohol-related events at the yoga studio and and then having to stand in that when I'm confronted with it. And I think people could relate, you know, when they draw a, a line in the sand and then they have to hold that line. What does that feel like? Yeah. Whether it's in business or in family or with children. Yoga Professional Summit starting this Tuesday, four days. Um, go sign up. We've we've listened to so many summits of teachers that that we follow, and I have gotten so much from free summits. I've bought I've bought books from people that I I hadn't heard of before. It's really added to my life. Absolutely, it's a way to learn about all these wonderful teachers and professionals that are out there. It and it's delivered right to your email, so mm-hmm. you can watch it from the comfort of your home. It's totally free. It, it's so valuable that she's offering this. Yeah, it is. And and again, thank you so much, Katie, for inviting us. We were so honored.
All right, now on to today's show. We're also so honored to welcome Karen Shanks, MD. She's a physician who lives and practices in Iowa City. Her work is inspired by the revolutionary science of functional medicine, body-mind principles, and wisdom gleaned from the transformational journeys of thousands of clients over her 28-year career. She believes that health and vitality are essential for the highest expression of our human potential and the bones of our healing are in what we do for ourselves. She has written a beautiful book called Heal, a nine-stage roadmap to recover energy, reverse chronic illness, and claim the potential of a vibrant new you. Karen, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you for inviting me. It's an honor. Karen, I'm super thrilled to have you on the podcast this week. As you know, all of these topics that you write about in your book are so near and dear to my heart. And being a registered nurse for over 20 years, I find it so interesting when people in our work begin to ask questions that might be different from the status quo in Western medicine. So thank you for being here. And can you begin to tell our listeners the beginning of this. What was the beginning of Heal? You wrote this beautiful book, Heal. And what was the impetus for it that made you ask questions to change your own life? Hmm. Good question. Um, The question asking started long before the book started gestating as it were. <laughs> so the so the impetus for asking questions was I, I it started back when I was in medical school not really knowing what I was doing except that I had this very vague notion that I wanted to be involved in healing. I'd been a um I'd been a nurse, I'd been uh, worked in hospice settings and home health settings and I just loved the the deep connections that I was able to to form with people dying or going through some sort of healing process. And I thought going into medicine would be a way for me to, you know, to um, continue that journey. Um, And I was just shocked (laughs) (laughs) at what I'd gotten myself into. Yet at that at that stage in my life, I didn't really have the language to express why I felt such a deep disappointment inside my body and my being. I, mean, I was very disappointed. There were, you know, I was observing things that just didn't fit with what I expected from from the great institution of medicine. Um, so it really started then. And, and after my training, and uh, as I was working um, one-on-one with people, I realized I I didn't have the training that they needed me to have. I didn't have the you know the solutions and the um, the ideas and the knowledge that they needed, especially my folks with chronic um, complex illness. And so um, that led me on a journey of you know learning other things, learning about nutrition, learning about mind body healing. Um, finally um, leading me to um, uh, discovering the Institute for Functional Medicine, where the whole paradigm of thinking about people and their health and their their um, functioning is completely different than conventional medicine. Um, and it's just re- redefining my, my whole practice of medicine. Then the book, 
um, the book came about because, you know, we're really complicated and, and mm -hmm. people really need, even if we're, though we're, we might be focusing on a few areas at a time, they really need a way to see the roadmap and to see how everything integrates. And it gets very confusing. It's, 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 I think very, very difficult. Um, and while there were so many beautiful books out there about, you know, food plans and, you know, how to, you know, about movement and sleep and how to approach this condition, this condition, they were, they're very niched and they're very simple and, and, um, you know, uh, people just really need that bird's eye view. So it was really over the years of working with clients and having them beg me for, you know, for resources and books to support our work together that I began to have this idea that, well, maybe it's not out there. So maybe I should write it. Maybe I need to write this book. <laughs> and it's, it's and, yeah. And we're know? so glad that you did because one of the reasons that we love this book so much is you, you're giving that practical information, but you're also giving information about the importance of, you know, self-worth and self-love and self-compassion. Like you're making that just as important as, you know, the perils yes. of sugar. And so we're going to yeah. take our listeners more deeply into this book and the nine domains that you write about of healing. Mm -hmm. But something as I was reading it that was so clear to me is you and Amy do have a similar uh, journey because so you started as a nurse as you just mentioned to us mm -hmm. and I know that you experienced some deep fatigue and deep mm -hmm. exhaustion that also led your on led you on your own healing journey and mm -hmm. obviously I'll let Amy speak to that but she's been open with us that that was her journey as well so could you share a little bit about what that was like for you and your own journey towards healing I, yes. So that happened when I was in my mid thirties and I was just, um, maybe a couple years out of my, my training, my medical training and in practice and, um, having my children, I have two boys and just, uh, uh hitting a wall. I mean, really collapsing from just deep, deep, deep fatigue and a variety of symptoms that, um, uh, are associated with having no energy. I was having migraine headaches and pain and, and depression and it just, yeah, I, I really collapsed and, um, conventional medicine didn't have any answers for me because, you know, it's normal to be a young mother and with a job and, and feel tired mm -hmm. and migraine headaches are considered to be, you know, uh, normal and common um, in, in my age group at that time. Um, so I felt there was a period of time when I just felt like I was broken. You know, I, that this was somehow like a character flaw <laughs> that I, you know, here I am, that I'm supposed to be a healer and a helper and I can't help myself. And that was such a key part of my, um, embarking on this journey of just a deeper exploration of what it means to be to be healthy and and how to um, and how I had to heal myself and and it worked yeah <laughs> and it worked <laughs> yes <laughs> you tell a story in the book about having a conversation with the the I I can't remember if it was the chairman of your um, mm -hmm. Of your department and you really wanting to be part-time because you felt like that was the right thing at the time in your life and your mm -hmm. child's life and mm -hmm. and the resistance that you got 
Can you speak a little bit more about that as, as a healer trying to advocate for your own well-being and meeting resistance from other healers, including your boss? Well, that was um, about 1994. And that was a time when physicians really weren't working part-time. Now that's changed today. Lots of physicians, men and women, are opting for part-time schedules. And the, the, rigor, the, the rigors of training have changed dramatically since that time. Um, but I just knew in my heart of hearts that I, I just couldn't have a full-time professional physician um, appointment at the university. And, you know, at, at, the, at that time, that meant lots of hours, easily 60, 70, 80 hours and, and being on call. I just couldn't do that. I couldn't do that and, and raise my newborn son the way I wanted to. Um, so, and at that time, I didn't really, I didn't have that internal strength to know, you know, that um, my truth is as valid as the truth that was being put forth by my, um, my department chair who, who said, very, and I remember it so clearly to this day, so dogmatically, well, professional physicians work full time, you know? Mm -hmm. and, <laughs> and not just full time, a hundred hours a week. Oh yes. Yes. That's right. That's right. So that was, so I did, I felt, I did, there was part of me that felt this, um, you know, this, a strong pull and just conviction and dedication to being the kind of mom I wanted to be. But there, of course, there was this other part of me that really felt like I was a failure. Mm -hmm. I don't today. I mean, I'm and I'm, uh, you know, 25 years later, I'm much stronger and I, I'm uh, much more able to honor my truth as I feel it and as I know it. Uh, but it was very difficult at that time. Mm -hmm. I think that message that you just shared is so important for especially women to hear that really honoring that internal voice, that mm -hmm. honoring your own needs and that you can still be a professional. That doesn't That's mean right. that you're not a professional, that you're not worthy of, of that work. So I really appreciate you putting that message out for our listeners that to really honor that and give themselves permission throughout your book, you talk about often listening to those quiet voices and, mm -hmm. and giving yourself permission. So yes. I, I really appreciate that. And, you know, so many women are in these cycles where it feels like a prison where we do feel like we have to do it all. We have to have mm -hmm. the job and do all the housework and take care of the kids and be perfect in all of our roles. And it does end up and leading us into exhaustion and fatigue, and then we're compromising Absolutely. our own health. So before we get more into the book, what do you say to women who are feeling that place right now? Like they're in it with kids or teenagers and work and cooking and, and just all of the things and no time for themselves. What, what, yes. what, what's your main message to women about that? Well, um, of course, and and trying to do it all puts them in survival mode. So they're up and when they come to see me and I, I see these women all the time, um, they're in survival mode. And often all I have to do is repeat back to them their story and have them look at it as an observer from the outside, you know, and it's such, it can be such a powerful aha moment of like, oh my God, that is, that's crazy. And that's, you know, that's, 
that's ridiculous that I've taken that all on upon myself. Um, and it is, an, it, and I think that is an important driver of a lot of chronic exhaustion and chronic illness is just being in this sort of self-induced, culturally induced um, survival mode status of having to try to do it all. That's something else I love about the book is you talk about our stories being central to our health and how the stories that we tell ourselves can really keep us sick. Mm -hmm. So let's start to have you speak to these nine domains of a healing roadmap um, that are, were just so beautiful for us to read. And it starts with let go. What do you mean by let go? Well, we have to we have to create space for healing to occur. And what do I mean by that? So that I think that encompasses a lot of things. Um, part of it is allowing ourselves um, to let go of uh, habits um, and ideas about, you know, how we fill our lives, time wasters and distractions, and, and giving ourselves permission to create space for ourselves. I think this is a very hard thing to do. I'm just turning to that chapter now because in there I have a, um, a beautiful exercise. Um, it's called self-love and compassion can be in the small things that we do. So creating space doesn't have to be a monumental task. It can simply be a simple, you know, lovely acknowledgement of, oh, I'm here, I'm in this place of suffering, and I'm going to um, extend some compassion to myself. And in extending that compassion to myself, I, I begin to open the doors to something new, to some something that's going to support my, my healing journey. Um, and then I get into, I mean, I, I also get into how we can biologically create space for healing by avoiding a lot of the, uh, the, the toxins, environmental toxins and food toxins and other um, aspects of our, of our lifestyles that become roadblocks to um, how our bodies are able to heal. Um, so there's a lot there's a lot to unpack in that in that section, um, but it just occurred to me that as I was writing the book that that is, in some ways is the first thing we really have to do is begin to create that space so that that the healing can occur. The next domain of healing that you talk about is love. Can you speak to how love helps us on our healing journey? I I, I like to think about that in the, the two major. Um, ways. One is, of course, self-love. Um, in order to even prioritize ourselves enough to support what we need to do to heal, which is usually, there's usually going to be things that we need to do. We need to change the way we eat, or we need to um, begin a meditation practice, or, or, or go to yoga class. We have to put ourselves in a uh, priority position in our lives. And that's really all about loving ourselves, right? Um, but there's also just a huge body of scientific literature now that shows, and we don't even need the scientific literature to know this intuitively, but love is healing. I mean, it's, it, is, it is healing. Um, and so not just love of ourselves, but love of our 
people and love of our pets and love of our children and just love of life is all all has profound healing benefits. You know, I want to ask you a little bit more about this section because the last Mm -hmm. decade or so, I've been right in the center of this idea of letting go of what doesn't serve me and that doesn't promote my vitality. But there's this, Mm -hmm. there's this leap between what we've learned is fun to eat or do, and what really makes us feel good. And I've heard that for years, like it's an act of self-love to feed yourself beautifully and to nourish yourself and to move regularly and to think positively and all of these things that are so true. It is an act of self-love. But to get to that point where you really are feeling worthy enough to let go of something that you've been taught is fun and delicious, but is going to make you feel horrible or let go of of doing something or taking in any substance that you habituated yourself through. So it's, Mm -hmm. it's like, even though we're taking our listeners through these beautiful steps that you created, it's like, you always seem to have to go back to letting go of the old stories, letting go of the old stories, but stepping into that place of like, I'm worthy of taking care of myself because really nobody else is going to do it. So that's, that is like a lifetime, I think, first of all, for me. And I just wanted you to speak to a little bit of like your, your process for stepping into that place on your own, that you know that you're worthy enough to treat yourself in these beautiful ways. I think this is a, this gets, uh, this is a complicated topic because I think what you were just talking about is like pleasure versus love. Yeah. And pleasure can encompass the ways that we numb ourselves, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, addiction, um, belonging. We eat, you know, we eat uh, pizza and drink beer on Friday nights because then we belong to the, you know, our group of friends that that does that, right? Or our families. Even, mm-hmm. Or our families, exactly, exactly. And so it's, you know, being, coming discerning about what we need and then... Um, finding the strength to put that into practice, which absolutely involves um, self-love and validating what we know makes us feel better. Um, for, For folks who receive a lot of pleasure that doesn't necessarily support their, their health and their well-being and their future healing, this is a difficult this is a difficult journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and it take kind of takes fierce warrior self-love, <laughs> right? Yes. And, and a team and a lot of support. <laughs> yes. So, yes. yeah. So, but, but yes, that, that's a, that's a, I think a critical aspect of this loving ourselves. And I think the more that we, and this is just speaking from my own experience over the past decade from someone who used substances to feel calm, um, mm-hmm. is that, the more you make the choices to feel better and the more I think your brain learns that, oh, this this feels really good. And the more you get positive reinforcement, then it's it feels so good. You can be proud of yourself. And I think we just have to show ourselves mm-hmm. that we can do it, you know, and c- right. continue to let go of the stories that we can't. And absolutely. And connect, yes. which is you get to this in your book too, to connect with the part of ourselves that that really knows what's right and knows that we can. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. 
which takes us into balance, um, which I think has a lot to do with this. The next step in in healing. Yes, because that a balance is about inner strength. It's about finding your inner strength. We all have it. We often are just disconnected from it. We don't know it's there. We've been so disempowered by a culture that teaches us that, you know, we have to turn to the experts for everything. Um, you know, where we our body mind are, are completely disconnected. Um, and people don't feel their inner strength. Um, but it's always, it's there, it's always there. And it's a matter of, of being directed back to it and practicing connecting to it. Um, and learning that we all have this core of, um, of inner strength. I call it our strong center. And once we have that, then we have a place to navigate from. Um, and I also like to connect that idea of the strong core center to how we literally biologically make energy, um, you know, with the adrenal glands sitting there in the center of our body. And then the relationship between the adrenals with our, the thyroid brain and mitochondria, which are the subcellular organelles where energy is actually made. Um, so stress is a, is uh, is part of this discussion about balance and how do we how do we um, how do we manage the challenges of our lives and how do we support making the energy that we need to um, uh, support us through life challenges, which is what stress is all about. As stress physiologically is all about making energy so that we can um, face life's challenges and get good at it and and do better in the future so that's a lot those are some big ideas but mm -hmm. i i think that they're all connected mm -hmm. and which is why i put them all in one chapter <laughs> in my mm -hmm. book it's a pretty big chapter mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> i love how you lay them out so beautifully in a circle and how they overlap each other it's not like a one and done that you're not done with letting go or love and moving on to the next one that they are so layered yes. within each other. Right. Absolutely. Most favorite topic, which is restore. And I love how you put this so early in the nine domains because rest and restoration are seem to always be the last thing on the list that yes. we do for ourselves or that yes. we offer for ourselves and to place such an importance on quality sleep and restoration and and you talk in the book about how we martyr ourselves and how we give ourselves props for burning <laughs> the candles and mm -hmm. we really admire that quality that people just really run themselves almost into the ground and so putting restore so early i think is so important can you talk to our listeners about importance of restoring and maybe if they feel resistance in offering that to themselves that that how much sleep and restoration need to be a priority in their healing journey yes and resistance is right i get that all the time people are are burning the candle at both ends it supports their sense of being successful human beings in our culture, you know, that's what we are rewarded for, right? For being, you know, out there and doing everything and being everything to everybody. Um, and yet it's the, it, it's the, it's the number one downfall. It's, it's why people get sick. I mean, 
Um, and that's one of the reasons I put it at the very beginning of the book. It, we can't hack restoration. There's no way around it. You can't burn the candle at both ends. You, we think we can, um, but it's, it, it, it is not sustainable. It's never sustainable. Um, and there's so much science on the benefits of sleep and the necessity of sleep for every aspect of our, our physiology, for strengthening every aspect of our physiology, not, you know, the way our brains work, our hormonal balance, detoxification, our brains actually sh shrink while we're sleeping so that the cerebral spinal fluid can sweep out the, the toxins and the, the uh, proteins that build up, including the proteins that are involved in dementia and Alzheimer's disease. It's just profound. Um, and, and, uh, in addition to sleep, uh, also just taking pause and being able to rest, um, and to be present enough to, you know, take in what's going on around you, which is part of pausing and, and resting and, and then the, and play, which is, I, uh, I, I don't go into in great depth, but it's so important that I had to include it in the book as well as just being able to play and putter, um, and the restorative aspects of that also. Um, so yes, uh, restoration is just something that we don't, that we try to hack and it's just not possible. Mm -hmm. It's not possible. So, but it's really difficult. It's very, this is a very difficult area to work one-on-one -on -one with individuals about. It's very difficult to let go um, of all the things that they fill their lives with. <laughs> Amy loves to talk about putting herself to bed like she would put a beloved child to bed. And I think about that often yeah. when I want to stay up and watch that one more Netflix show or if I get suddenly interested in my Instagram feed when it needs to be bedtime, I think, no, no, I need to <laughs> I need to remember that, you know, I can put myself to bed because I'm the only one that will do it now. Um, and I want to continue to highlight that even as we go through the steps, one of my favorite parts about your book is that there's so many books that you can get that, okay, these are the seven steps that you need to follow. And then they become almost like these strident rules and that mm -hmm. we're failing at because now it's something else we should do. And you continue right. to write through the book that that's not how to receive this. In fact, you really encourage us to let go of our shoulds and shouldn'ts because they do keep us in these, these spirals of dis-ease. Mm -hmm. Um, but having said that, we are just moving on so that we can touch on um, what beauty that you wrote for us in this book. So next you talk about movement. And in a recent episode, Amy said, yeah, we have to move before we think. And I really live my life that way because we wake up in the morning and maybe we don't feel so good and we can have a lot of stories about that. But a little bit of movement mm -hmm. can change so much. Oh, God, absolutely. And, you know, I've really more and more have come to think of movement as, you know, it's not so much exercise, though mm -hmm. exercise could be part of the equation, but it's really just about being in our bodies and um, feeling good in our bodies. And movement helps us do that. It helps us connect to the sensations of our bodies so that we can inhabit ourselves, you know? And I think about when I think about my own body, um, I think about how my emotions are in my body 
And sometimes I don't even know how I feel till I start moving. Um, like going for a walk. Walking is for me, that's therapy. You know, that's, <laughs> that's where I figure it all out. So for me, the movement piece is, is about being in our bodies. And, and then of course, there are the uh, um, enormous number of health benefits associated with moving. We were born to move. It's in our DNA. We, our ancestors, whose DNA, DNA is exactly like ours, um, moved all the time. They had to as just as part of their daily lives. And um, we now live in a, a, a time of so much convenience that we don't even have to open doors for ourselves when we're out <laughs> and about. We push, you push a button and the door opens. You know what I mean? Um, when we use elevators and escalators and we drive everywhere and we don't, you know, we're no longer growing and and often not cooking our own food. So there's so many key ways that we've stopped moving and that that literally changes, um, it changes our anatomy, it changes our physiology and, and all in um, very negative ways. So we function better when we move. So those two key pieces, the embodiment piece, so we're, we're more in touch with, um, with who we are and our, you know, our emotions and also the, the uh, supporting our physiology. And then exercise, um, which most of us think of as our, being our, our mo the mo movement piece is an add-on and it can be positive or negative. Um, many folks exercise in a very, I think, hurtful, harmful way. Mm -hmm. It's very, uh, very excessive and leads to injuries and d energy depletion. Um, but you know, done well, um, it, it, it absolutely can it can add fun um, and and have other uh, types of benefits that we enjoy and that improve our health. Yeah, not moving into a state of depletion, right? Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. so much of we see so many activities or exercise plans that can be extremely depleting. Mm -hmm. So finding movement that that nourishes you and improves Absolutely. your vitality as opposed to making you even more fatigued. Right. Exactly. As a former CrossFitter. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. I would just run myself into the ground because it was all about it was all about exercising to look a certain way. And yeah. now that is completely opposite. It's about moving to feel a certain way. That's right. I love that. Yes. So this leads us to the next area of the nine domains of healing, which is nourish. And this can be a really hot topic for people, right? Mm -hmm. That they care about what people should or shouldn't eat or what you should eat for your own body. And this area of healing that can, can make it a little more simple for people to be able to embrace this idea of food for vitality. Yeah. Um, I think it, I, again, I think this is something that we've become disconnected from. We've become disconnected from our food. So we no longer have, we're no longer mindful that food becomes us, that it's intimately a part of, uh, of who we are, of our bodies, of the way our bodies function, of how we feel, how our brains work. Um, and I think we just need to be reminded about that. And, you know, 
there are there are folks who thrive on a very particular kind of food plan based on you know their unique DNA and the the types of problems that they have uh, been having. Um, but I think for the vast majority of people, it's getting back to the basics of just eating real whole food, um, pre uh, preparing it uh, for, for oneself or as close as you can, can get to that, um, using food that's grown uh, locally um, and, in a sa and food that's safe. So, and there's a lot to learn about that. And we probably don't have time to go into all those um, issues, but, you know, like choosing an example would be like choosing um, a pasture raised beef over feedlot commercial beef, which they're completely different animals. Um, and we end up with a com with completely different quality um, of meat. Um, so it's, it, I think getting back to the basics rather than ha having to follow you know, uh, an extensive set of rules. Although I do, I work with people with chronic complex illness and oftentimes, uh, I would say always, the food plan becomes a really critical part of their healing process. And for many of them, um, we have to get very specific and there are a lot of rules mm -hmm. uh, involved. But that's, you know, that's a subset, of the, that, that's folks with chronic complex illness. What I hear you saying is it's so individualized. There's what never a one size fits all. Correct. Correct. And I think we can get caught up in trends or fads. And so I really appreciate you saying that it's very specific to the individual and that basics could be the simplest thing that mm -hmm. you could do for yourself. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that for, for most folks who are simply wanting to optimize um, how they eat and how they feel, you know, they could choose three, you know, three um, food principles um, to get started with. They could, it can be very simple and it could be, you know, simply getting rid of uh, sugar and processed food and eating more vegetables, right? I mean, just really picking a few very simple um, things to follow and, and, um, you know, not uh, have, there are no hard and fast rules, um, but it, it does not need to be an overwhelming proposition. Though I will acknowledge, and uh, you know, if any of my clients are listening to this, they'd say, well, why don't you gave me a hundred rules to follow? <laughs> there are people who do benefit from a, uh, a, you know, fairly strict therapeutic food plans, which aren't meant to be lifelong. Um, they're, they're, they're used to reset um, and redirect people's physiology so they can heal. I, and, I do, and, and I do, in the book, I do go through um, one of those food plans that I use in the setting of um, autoimmunity and um, inflammatory disorders. But I think that's totally appropriate because they're working very closely with you on their very specific needs. And that's exactly. where all, the, all those rules are derived from. I think when we see something on TV or something on Facebook, or we hear something from our neighbor and think that that's going to work for us, that can be very defeating. But right. for your clients, you know, they are working with you closely. So that seems to be an okay arena to have a much more specific food plan directed for them. I, sure. I, I think so. And they're, they're part of the, the partnership. They are working with me to develop what that food plan actually is. You know, I can make 
suggestions and give them a rationale and then they get to choose you know what actually what their food plan is actually going to constitute at any given time mm -hmm. i also appreciate how you mentioned sometimes it can be as simple as less sugar and more vegetables because food plans and information about food can be incredibly overwhelming and then when people feel overwhelmed it's like oh why, why even try Exactly. And then we start to make our way back into our stories. And I'm sure over the years that you have heard so many limiting stories from the mouths of your patients. And mm -hmm. the next section of the book is where you're asking us to really discover the stories that stand in the way from making the choices that are steeped in worthiness. Mm -hmm. um, did you confront some of your own uh, at the beginning of your healing? Oh, sure. I still confront my stories. <laughs> mm -hmm. No, uh, absolutely. And I, I tell the story of a, um, a conversation with my son um, where he, uh, this was back when he was in high school, um, maybe 10 or 15 years ago, where he had an assignment uh, in school where he had to pick his hero and tell the class about his hero and he chose two and one was his grandfather who is a hero i mean in all the you know outward ways and in his second one was me <laughs> mm. and and he in his explanation of why you know it's like oh wow well mom you know you've overcome so much in your life it completely shifted the way i thought about my entire past life and um was a, a revelation to me about the stories we carry through our lives and how um, it's a choice to see them and to, to reflect on ourselves in a particular way, that we really do have a choice, that things happen the way they happened, but we can look at those, those events of our lives in different ways and understand them in different ways. And for me, it was, oh, okay, I wasn't abandoned. I was set free, <laughs> you know, um, I wasn't, a, a, you know, a, a unwanted, undeserving failure. I was a scrappy little girl who did what she needed to do under, you know, my circumstances. So um, that's just an example of a big story and one, you know, of mine that really completely shifted the way I looked at some you know, one of the key stories of my life. And I now try to apply that to all my stories as they come up um, and, and work with that to help clients look at the stories that become roadblocks to their healing. Um, it's so useful and so important. And, and, and sometimes we have to start with stories before we can even um, create a care plan that includes, you know, tasks. We've got to work with those stories first. Well, yeah, because it's going back to that balance. And if you're recognizing mm -hmm. a story that is based in fear, then mm -hmm. we already know that that's not true, but that's hard for us to see. But coming back to the voice of love, and one of my favorite questions mm -hmm. is like, okay, what's the more loving thought? Or if love had a voice, what would love say? That's right. a great way to get to your turnarounds. By the way, the turnaround of I was not abandoned, I was set free. Uh, you just gave me a new thought. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, you're welcome. That was good. I like that. <laughs> yeah, thank God. Thank God my dad kicked me out. <laughs> 17 years old, right? Thank mm -hmm. God I would not be who I am today. And I 
like, I really like myself. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this brings us to the next domain of healing, which is my favorite. I said restore was my favorite, but I now I'm going <laughs> to say that flow is my favorite. I was so beyond thrilled that a medical wrote a whole chapter on emotions and healing and you brought up the chakra system mm-hmm. can you speak to the importance of emotions and healing and sure i are and again we're here we're, we're talking again about a part of our human reality that we are have become so cut off from and that's become so distorted through you know cultural norms and um and what have you and so th- this is can be this is an area that can be really difficult uh, it's been difficult for me over the years it's difficult when i'm working with clients but our emotion you know i think of our emotions as um currents of wisdom all of them even the what we consider to be the negative emotions which is unfortunate that we think of them in that light like mm-hmm. anger and fear um anxiety um but these are all this is a part of the emotional in a inner wisdom guidance system of our of our bodies and of our beings and so i feel it's really important when i'm working with clients is to, to get them in touch with that because that's going to be part of that strong uh core center that that guides them and helps them to make the, you know, the choices that they need for um, their healing. And I love the chakra system because one, I think they got it right. I mean, if we think about the chakras and the emotions that they're associated with, which for those who aren't familiar with the chakra system, it's um, a system, it's a multi-thousand year old um, uh, system that was first written about um, in India in 1500 uh, BC. And um, it's basically a roadmap or, a, or um, a emotional anatomy of the body mm-hmm. where certain parts of the body are associated with certain types of energy or uh, emotional energy. Um, they overlap. There's lots of overlap, but it's a just a basic framework that I think is a beautiful way to think about emotional energy um, and gives us a way to work with difficult emotions because rather than rather than um, coming at them with our intellects, which are filled with our stories about these difficult emotions, we can go right into the part of the body where that where those emotions reside and work with them directly there. Um, so for me, it, it for me, it's just a very freeing way to um, work with emotional wisdom. Um, so that's one that's one of the benefits that I see, and and I I can I work with clients in this way too. We'll just go right into the part of their body where we're having, um, we we're having issues, physical issues or emotional issues, and and do and do some healing work there. Um, that allows them to let go of some of the intensity and some of the roadblocks that those emotions um, can present and allow those emotions to flow more freely. Um, Emotions can get stuck in the body and people aren't often aware of that, but they can begin to have symptoms or discomfort in in that part of the body. So this is kind of a complicated topic. It's hard to, it's hard to encapsulate in just a short 
uh, period of time. But it's so it's so important that we, you know, help people one understand that they're emotional beings to really honor what their emotions have to say to them that every emotion is is to be honored it's all wisdom um and we just uh, i think most of us need some guidance in how to work with that emotional energy because it we have become so disconnected from it and so they're so unfamiliar to us i think that's the important thing that you just said right there if we had to just pick pick one important piece is the wisdom of the emotions mm-hmm. that there is there is wisdom and knowledge in the emotion and not to squash it and right and and we are trained especially as women to not be so emotional or to not trust our emotions and right. and to really tap into that intuition that as animals you don't see the lion you know come up on the antelope and the antelope says, Oh, but he looks like a nice lion. Like, you know, like, what do you, exactly. I love that. We have that same kind of animal makeup, but we talk ourselves out of exactly wisdom and intuition. So I love, I love the importance of, of really honoring our emotions. You know, Lisa and I talk a lot about emotions on this podcast. So this is, this is a great, chapter in your book for us to be able to share with our listeners that that there is so much wisdom so much knowledge in in emotions Mm -hmm. and the fact that you from the medical system is writing about this and including a chapter on this i think it just validates those of us who are interested and okay where am i feeling this pain in my body and Mm -hmm. what part of the body is connected to this emotion and what clues can I attain from that? And then, as Amy said, and as you said, we talk ourselves out of it because we were taught to do that. We were taught right. that it's much better to be happy than crying. You know, we right. were we were taught that anger is bad. But yep. what does happen if we let ourselves really sink into where that emotion will take us? And then I imagine we would find a lot of the reasons that we might be sabotaging ourselves when it comes to not choosing sleep when our body needs it or not choosing a cucumber over a cookie. You know, there would be a lot of information right there in the heart of those emotions. That's absolutely right. But you have to be present. Mm -hmm. And I know I brought up this whole ish, the thread that goes through this entire book from the very beginning, from the introduction is the necessity of being more present. Yeah. Right. Because we have to mm-hmm. stop and look at what we're feeling. That's your final, that's final or first. Yes, rise, <laughs> rise. Yes. I mean, it's <laughs> it's always there to be present to your emotions, to be present to hunger cues, to be present to how specific foods make us feel, to be present how four hours sleep makes us feel. Yeah. And it's so easy to distract ourselves and ignore that. And you know, Amy and I have spoken here that there were years where we both were dissociated from our bodies. And a lot mm-hmm. of us are living that way because we feel that we don't have time to listen because we've got to pick up the kids and then we've got to go to the grocery mm-hmm. store and you know we've got to show up in all of these different ways. So, it, and this society is built upon distracting ourselves from how our bodies are really feeling. Exactly. So the art of being present, it's so easy to say, be here now. But it did change. Ooh, yeah. It did change my life. It did totally change my life. You know that yes. that first yoga class when 
I actually knew what it was to be present when I just was yes. feeling my feet on the ground and feeling my breath and my mind settled into that place. That that was a, a moment of grace, a transformational moment when I realized that, oh, I've never, I've never consciously been aware of this kind of stillness of this sort of right here, right now. Mm-hmm. And it's, there's power in that. And that's also the place of love. Absolutely. And it's a practice. It's just something we have to practice every day. It seems unfortunate that to most successfully live our lives, we need to be present. But our brains are oriented in a different way. They're, they have such a, um, they're so powerfully oriented towards survival, which is often looking to the future, you know, and those worst case scenarios. Um, it's a, it's a paradox <laughs> to be a human being. So it really does take daily practice, I think, even for the most, you know, um, calm among us. I, I need to get up every morning and meditate. I just have to. It's just what I have to do um, and have, you know, little uh, uh, places of pause throughout my day. It takes, it's a lot of work, but worth it. So you close this beautiful book with a bow to failure, which I think is, is vital for us to hear how important failure is. Can you talk about that? Yes, I close the book with this because, you know, we're always going to fail, right? We're always going to, we're always going to hit dead ends. We're going to have things that don't work out. Um, we're going to we're going to have disappointment it's just part of the path of learning about ourselves and and what we need and what our direction needs to be at any given time and yet we attach so much you know we attach this huge story we attach stories to it uh that we call it failure uh, i think uh one of the quotes i have in the book is about the only way um, that we truly fail is by giving up. That's really the only failure that there is. And everything else is guidance hmm. if we choose to, if we choose to see it that way. Um, and it's the most profound and beautiful guidance because it's so individualized to us and it's so calibrated by our every move and our every choice. Um, so we, we really, if we embrace all of our failures and disappoint, disappointments, we're going to go in exactly the right direction we need to go. It's just we need to learn to see it that way. Well, I know that Amy and I have enjoyed this book so much, and we can't recommend it enough. Um, we certainly would not have enough time to talk about all the wisdom within. So thank you so much for just highlighting this work of art for us. Um I hope that you're really proud of this book because it's really a work of art. I love it. I really love it. But it also just helped me establish how I really think about things, you know, and how I kind of put things together. It's helped me a lot to do, to put this together. Um, and I, I, I hope it's, I hope it's helpful to the readers. Oh, so much, so much. The way you write is so accessible and the amount of practices and wisdom that you provide is just so valuable. So I loved the book as well. Oh, I glad. I highly recommend it to all of our listeners. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah, your, your clients are lucky to have you. And if um, any of our listeners are interested in learning more about you and in getting this book, 
how can they connect with you? And also, is there anything that we didn't discuss on the show today that that you want to impart before we let you go? I, I want to remind folks, and I, I, I talk about this at the beginning of the book, is, you know, we we are so disenfranchised from our healing and you know, healing is one of, I, I talk about how it's a primary urge of all nature and we're absolutely part of that. Um, so we, we all can heal. We're born to heal. Um, we just need tools and guidance and, you know, community and, um, reassurance. Um, I, I have clients who show up with chronic complex illness, who've been through the healthcare center and they believe that they're broken and that they can't, they can't heal, that something terrible has gone wrong. And, um, that's never true. Hmm. That's absolutely never the truth. And, and I, you know, I, I say that not only as someone who's experienced people's healing journeys for the past 28 years, but also that's the science of, um, of epigenetics. We know that, you know, that when things go wrong, it's because there's been a collision between our genetics and the environment in which those genes exist. So it's, it's about decoding what that collision was all about and understanding, you know, what we need to do to put things back together. Our bodies are all wise. Our bodies are doing exactly what they were designed to do, given the circumstances in which those, our bodies exist. And we can, we can decode what the issues are and, and figure out a path for going forward. So Mm -hmm. I think those would be my final words. Mm -hmm. And for anyone who wants more information, they can go to my website at karenshanksmd.com. There's more information about the book at karenshanksmd.com slash heal, or um, I have a, a Amazon book page, Karen Shanks MD Heal. Well, we hope we have a chance to talk with you again. I feel like I could just talk with you all day, Karen. Thank you so much. I'd love it. Great. I can't wait to share this with my, uh, your podcast is so awesome. Thank you guys. Um, oh, thank I'm, you. I'm, I'm looking forward to sharing it with, with my people. Thank you for listening to the Radiant Warrior podcast. If you found it valuable, please leave us a positive review to help others find it. And please check out the Radiant Warrior podcast on Instagram and Facebook to leave us your questions and find out where you can come and practice with us next.